Well, I figured that uh, after two weeks of leaning into the saints on the nature of the new covenant, I better back off a bit. Too startling of you. I know it snuck up on you after 2,000 years. And uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We're just very grateful. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. We're in, as you can see, Jeremiah 17. It's been quite a while since I've been in this passage. and I uh, went back and looked at my notes from that quite a while back. And I, all that was certainly there, but it's not what I was looking at this morning. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While their children remember their altars and their asherim beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains and the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage which I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land which you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled which shall burn forever. What Mark just read out of Chronicles about the last righteous life of Josiah and his early death, which caused Israel, to, uh, Judah, to go into captivity. Jeremiah is the one mentioned in that passage that Jeremiah wrote a lamentation for Josiah. And Jeremiah has been prophesying this inevitability because of the sin of the people, regardless of how good the king was. The king could structure things better, but couldn't make the people good. But what intrigued me, as you can see in red, up at the first verse, the sin of Judah is written on the tablet of their heart, basically. We're always talking about, I don't mean to reintroduce the new covenant to you, but, you know, it talks about in the new covenant, also Jeremiah 31, that the law of God be written on the tablets of their heart, on their hearts it was where the law of God would be. But also seems that the sin is written there as well. I was thinking of that scene in the Ten Commandments where Yul Brenner playing Ramses II incorrectly, I might say, not that he played him incorrectly, but wrong dynasty, wrong dynasty. That was supposed to be Amenhotep II. But Yul Brenner did a good Ramses II. And at some point in the movie, he smites his chest like ancient people did and said, so let it be written, so let it be done. Kind of an authoritative remark. But that's what we are about in life. In this sense, what you're writing is what's going to be done. And it's going to be done because what you're, what you're writing, and uh, we were talking a little bit yesterday at, at Drones, and, and Paul had brought up this kind of desire to talk about it more, the nature of 
the narratives we craft. And when we're crafting a sinful one, explicitly for Judah here, that's going to be written indelibly with a iron pen, with a diamond tip, carved on your heart. And then, interestingly enough, carved on your altars. And then, interestingly, remembered by your children having been carved in your altars. All of their idolatry. And so I'm going to take you away into captivity. This is what happens when you have when you trust something that much. And you say, hmm, I better avoid that then. I shouldn't trust something that much. Here's the other problem. You don't get a choice about that. You will trust something that much. Unless you're catatonic, or born with just a brain stem, and you're in a hospital being fed through a feeding tube, you are going to trust somebody that much. The choice you have is not whether you trust somebody that much, whether you trust somebody that ought to be trusted. Because what happened, I was looking at this verse in verse 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Contrary to every Disney film, believe in yourself. Because that's what it, cursed is every man with faith. Wouldn't that be what, how you could trip that last bit off, the last in, who trusts in man. You know, it already doesn't matter whether you believe. Do you believe? Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter who you believe. Everybody's got to have a belief. Everyone knows that everyone has a belief. We've got to sort out as readers of Jeremiah not what the effect of belief is, but what the effect of wrongly believing is. Because the end result of you believing in the wrong, cursing, being cursed for trusting in man, turning away from the Lord, you're making a choice between trusts. You say, but I, I don't remember doing this. It's not like there was an altar call at some church of humanism, which I went forward in and responded to the, to the uh, claims of humanity to run my own life. No, you just did it. You just believed it. Sometimes there will actually be a philosopher out there, like a Disney film, that says, all you need to do is believe in yourself, as long as you believe in yourself. Well, I'm sure there's areas where believing in yourself is a good thing. But since you can't avoid believing, you can only be choosing who you're believing in. Because... Whatever your belief is, if you've talked to Jim Wilson at all, he'll talk to you about head faith, heart faith. There's going to be a heart faith. You can't escape it. It's how you react to everything. And it could have been as simple. You said, I've never read a book, Evan. I don't even watch TV. I just play with that little thing that you throw the wooden block in the air and catch it in the cup. That's all I do, all day long. How can you say... Well, you're a human being. You have sensation. It started to matter to you. You started to believe where you would fix those sensations. Did you turn to God? Or did you turn to yourself? Did you turn to your mother? 
Did you turn to the state? Who did you turn to? Where is your trust? Because it's going to be, that's the indelible nature of what the human heart is there to do. There isn't a chip in any person that doesn't have an operating system written on it. And we have to be concerned because when it is written, it will be done. What you believe, faith without works is dead. And it's not like you're choosing between faith and no faith. Because you're choosing between faith in this and faith in that. Trust in man or trust in God. And consequently, not only is it wrong to put your trust in man, but it's going to have the effect that we're talking about. Your heart has it written on you. Your altars get it written on you. And consequently, you're, you know, we're a church. We're not a big church, obviously. We can't afford to have people go off to McCall for a weekend. Somebody call them. We need you. Drive back now. We're not a big church, but we are a church. We're a body of believers who like to gather together because we love the Lord. Variety of doctrines, I'm sure. We know that our religion, we want it to be a good religion, right? We don't want, you know, have you ever seen Christian things? How awful they are? You know my view of Christian music, but could be Christian movies, could be just Christians wearing Christian clothes. You want to go shake them. Please don't do that. We know that we care about what happens in the body of Christ. We'd like it to be holy. Consequently say, you know, if what's written on my heart personally, particularly me, ends up written on my altars, the way we are as individuals is going to be expressed in the way the church functions, the way the church rejoices, the way the church fellowships, the way it reacts to sin with grace, And I know that most of you, because I realize it, it was, a lot of his people, it kind of snuck up on. Because <coughs> over the years, people were getting married. <coughs> you know, kind of in a profligate way. They were just going out there getting married to people. And they came to church. Things were fine. And then they started having babies. And everybody's got babies now. This church is awash in babies. Not so much this week. There's just Ivy back there and a few teenagers like Anders and, and uh, Remy. But there's a lot of kids. And consequently, last, like last summer, there were enough kids that somebody said, Evan and Leslie, would you teach your child during seminar? Well, yes, we would. So we did. Because parents are concerned. A couple nights ago, Abby was asking me in the uh, library, we had a crowd of people, about uh, you know, the qualifications for leadership in the church. You know, the child must, not, must be a believer, not profligate, not open to the charge of being insubordinate. What was the relationship of parent to child? And so parents, when you have children, you suddenly become aware that this little sack of sin 
is growing up older and older, sitting more and more. How am I going to hope to have them turn to Christ at any point? We want their lives to turn out. We know that if they end up sinners, it's just going to go to just going to go to hell. So we care about our religion. We care about our children. This is the price of what you write on your heart. It's going to get written. You wrote something. You got to erase what you have written and write what you ought because it will affect your religion and your children. Has that passage in 2 Corinthians I gave to you, the image is the same. Um, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on your hearts to be known and read by all men and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. This is the nature of all of history of ideas. It used to be religion seemed to sit outside but people always religiously wrote something inside. Primarily, they wrote sin. Your sin, the sin of Judah, is written with a pen of iron. The effect of the man who trusts in man, says verse 6, he is like a shrub in the desert. Now, I have been stationed in the desert. I say stationed because I did not choose to live in the desert. I was put there by the U.S. government. And out in the desert, which has its charming moments, one, the women. Two, nothing else. Now there's occasionally once every 40,000 years, I think rain comes through and the desert blooms. And for about seven hours, it's beautiful. But otherwise, it's, you know, octeo plants, creosote bushes. It's pretty great. Oh, you stumble across a cactus once in a while. Oh, look, a cactus. But a desert is a desert. And like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come, he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Because there are worse deserts in Southern California. There's the deserts around, well, it's kind of bad by the Salton Sea, because like the Salton Sea, the Dead Sea is a landlocked lake which has gotten saltier and saltier over the centuries. And salt pits and salt flats. Nothing grows. You know, that's the old adage what they, when uh, Cartago Delenda Est, what's that? Carthage must be destroyed. And then when they, in the third Punic War, after they defeated Carthage, they plowed the city up and salted the ground. The Romans wanted to be sure there wasn't anything going to be here again. Salt will do that. De nobody wants desert places. You find, uh, Tim, years ago, at, when he lived at our house, tried to have a garden in our ground. It looked bit brown. Dirt's usually brown. But there was no nutritious value in that dirt. There was nothing there for the plants. We got some interesting peppers, or peppers, or interesting carrots. They were interesting, like Fukushima carrots. The ground matters. 
we know that this counts. We want this image of where you end up, all these metaphors for how you think of it, it's like it was writing on your heart physically. No one wrote on your heart physically. And remember, it's not your center of your emotional frame. I just, I'm not doing a heart sermon because of Valentine's Day. It's your center of your being, the center of your measure of all things. When a man trusts in man, you say, hold it, I don't mean to argue with heaven or with the prophet Jeremiah. Don't we, aren't we grateful for Avista Utilities and trusting them to warm this building? The police department down the street, trusting them to keep the order and the peace in Moscow, Idaho? Trusting the U.S. government for nothing at all? Trusting whatever, whoever you're trusting, Safeway, we were at Safeway last night, trusting Safeway to deliver food that isn't covered with E. coli? Yeah, we trust, we trust men, yeah. Yeah. And it's easy for us, it's easy for us to um, raise our hand and go, okay, this is an overreach by Jeremiah. I can think of all sorts of situations in which trust of man, you know, little, little Johnny needs his diaper changed and he runs to his mother and mother, whom he trusts, changes his diapers. Okay. You got me. Me and Jeremiah. Now, the list for where you do trust God. Do you give God all that God has asked to be trusted in? Do I even know what all God has asked to be trusted in? In some cases, he tells me, anybody who does not take care of his own family is worse than an unbeliever. It would assume that you trust your parents. They can be trusted. God recommends it. But he asks for your trust in any number of places. He makes statements. Even this one itself, through his prophet. Do I trust him on this, that this is true? Do I always find myself developing caveats, doubts, cynicisms, skeptical about the intensity of this. Maybe Jeremiah was just having a bad day. He is the weeping prophet. Do you have a list of where you do trust God? You've heard me say this before when topics like insurance come up. and you know, we're, I'm a little bit more extreme on insurance, but my basic advice to everybody else who holds different views is Decide how much you're going to trust God, then talk to the insurance salesman. Only after you decide how much you're going to trust God. Because, you know, if I don't trust God at all, I'm going to buy a lot of insurance. If I trust God a medium amount, I'll buy a medium amount of insurance. If I trust God, however wisely or unwisely it is, it will affect what you do. Because it, ma- it matters right now who, it really matters. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. You think he's making a point? Because in our world, and this is the danger of 
the success of capital, the success of material. We've answered a lot of things, medically, comfort-wise. We live, I was talking to James beforehand about guys who go out intentionally camping in the winter, doing it the hard way, like the old-timey guys did it. Um, here, let me wet my blanket in the river and then try to sleep. Because the old-timey guys weren't bright that way. Well, the old-timey guys died at a rapid pace. We, the modern, have got roofs over our head. Amazing systems that some engineer thought of that will make... I don't know where the gas pipeline comes into Moscow, but I want to go build an altar over it. I like that. Or the sewer system. Magically, all your poo goes away to some place magical. And in, some engineer devoted his life to that. So we have situations where a lot of, we're not falling on our knees every 15 minutes because our blanket's wet from dipping it in the river, calling on God to save our bacon. We regularly, oh, we don't just devote ourselves to Safeway because there's Rose Hours too, and then there's Winco. Not the co-op. There is Rose Hours and Winco. Because they have better deals sometimes. But we have a manager from Safeway here, so we have to honor that. Plus the gas points. And now they're running a monopoly thing. I think we're going to win $200 million. That's what they promised me. We know that we've got a big temptation. Now, when it tells you what the blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, not only do you go to parched lands, whatever that metaphor means to you, because right around the age of 45, for you young people, you say, I'm going to be dead by 45. No, you won't. You'll be alive and you'll be wondering what hit you. 45, you'll be saying to yourself, this is parched. What is the dang point? What have I been doing? And you go buy a Corvette. Save the money. Trust the Lord. Because the Lord is like a tree, verse 8, planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now it's not actually talking about trees and plants and dirt. And, but the image is good. You've been down by the pond. You know, even in the desert, there was a pond we used to baptize people in, Sunbeam Lake, loosely. I know it's not Idaho, it's, it's a puddle. But boy, the palm trees and everything grew so nicely around the puddle. And that's what the picture he has. He wants you to feel that when you trust in the Lord, and you make this a question on your plate. How much where? Do I trust man? Do I trust man when God tells me to trust man? Because I trust God most. Do I listen to God? Do I seek what God says? Or do I just say, well, I don't really know what God's asking of me, so I'll just keep going to Safeway, Rose Hours, and Winco and buy my insurance. This next verse is one that I needed in red. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. 
who can understand it? So basically, we're not to be trusted. Sometimes we actually lie to ourselves. Sometimes we mix up the categories. Sometimes we just go, oh, since I don't think about this, I don't have to worry about this. I'm not overtly going out there to trust man. Like I said, you can't avoid this. Your heart is trying to deceive you. It's trying to keep you from answering the phone. It's ringing, and you're not answering it. And you kind of come up with reasons why not to answer it. It's like that ex-girlfriend calling. You're not going to answer it. I don't have this problem or anything, okay? But heart is deceitful. Who could understand it? Then it says, quoting God in first person, I, the Lord. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the mind, try the heart. So, I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know how to think. I know this is a big question. Not that I trust, but who that I trust. Am I accurate in how I'm dividing this up? What ordinate value do I give the various things? And you're warned that you're going to be cheating. You're going to be... You ever dieted? I've dieted unsuccessfully, you say, you're saying to yourself, and I will smack you if you tell me that personally. But what happens when you diet? You lie to yourself. Oh, I'm looking good. Really, I lost five pounds. We're that way. With those sorts of people, we, we love ourselves. We feature ourselves. And if you are trying to protect you trusting in man, you're going to lie, deceive, to get at it. You're even turn God into the pastor you really admire. The writer that you buy books of. And he's a Christian. You ever meet a girl who wants to marry this guy? Oh, he's, he's a... Is he a Christian? Well, he, he goes to church. What a bunch of... You, you, you know you're lying. You can hear yourself. You don't want to, just want it to be recorded. So you can play it back for the girl after it all goes to Hades in a handbasket. Her saying, he, he, he goes to church. Yeah, that's what we mean by Christian. Who do you trust? How do you know you trust them? Have you sought out the things, if you trust them, that are the instructions? Do you know? If you're going to inadvertently obey the world, inadvertently obey man, don't you think you ought to try to get it in writing? That's what they warned us of talking to recruiters back in the day. Because if you didn't get it in writing, bad things were going to happen. You were going to be in the military. You're not going to have... This is Tom Garfield. This happened to we, we enlisted together on the buddy plan. And I went to my recruiter and said, I want to be a photographer's mate, and I want it in writing. So I got it in writing. I could demand a captain's mask to get out of the Navy if they didn't give me a photo mate. It's photo school and become a photographer's mate for the Navy. So, so Tom Garfield said, oh, yeah, I'll do the same thing. So he talked to his recruiter. He said, no problem, we'll get you that. He was a storekeeper on an oiler out of Norfolk for four long years. A, an oiler is not a very heroic ship. 
It's the gas station for other ships. And he was a storekeeper, which meant he issued pencils to people who wanted a pencil, which in Navy terms was also pencil, black, one each. All the way up to, I saw a crate on the flight line once, a big crate, and it said, wing, phantom, F4, one each. <laughs> one each, okay. You need to know what you're being promised. What you're believing is going to happen. Because you're trusting in man, and man, not only are they lying to themselves, they're lying to you. You see it on TV, you see it in certain classes on campus, you get lied to. Somebody is taking their authority lying to you. Desperately corrupt. So, we're going to find some sort of objective source of fixing this. Some objective answer, hopefully. Now it's going to, be, it's going to remain vague, because this is a general thing written in approximately 6, 620 B.C., We're, we're looking at it now. We're taking away principles that you want to know who the men are you are trusting, what their defense is for what they have said to you, who is the God you are being asked to trust, what did he say, what am I believing him in? Because I know I'm up to it, probably no good. I need to have someone else tell you. Somebody was telling me about working out Oh, 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 oh. It was Lydia. Lydia Nicholas. Because she goes to work out in the morning at something at the NIAC. And she says, it's always much easier when you're working with a group because you can't cheat. Someone is there going, that was wrong. You can't do that. Because you're in front of your TV watching a little video. You, you're, you're, just, you're not doing it. We need someone to be looking over our shoulder. And who but the Lord? I, the Lord, search the mind and try the heart. And this is one of the ways. So, well, how do I know what he's going to say? How, how do I know? I got, I got no prophet. I'm going to whisper in my ear. I got no Jeremiah there, no Nathan to tell me when I sinned or what did wrong or thought incorrectly. How do I know? To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. We are being measured by God. And your success and failure is to be read in the gifts of God to you. That's why he measures. That's why he does it. So he could give justly to every man according to what he's done. Simple. You did X. You did it under this motivation, trusting in this source. God saw right through your deception, right through your claims. Is your religion real? Is it not real? So what are the gifts of God? Well, again, I don't want to hint at the new covenant at all. Because, well, that would be overdoing it. But we see it in the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what the things written back there in that Corinthians passage, written on their hearts, 
a letter from Christ asking us, doing in us, is giving us gifts. He's not saying this is a health wealth thing. In, in some aspects, the politically, the nation state of Israel is being judged, and of course, good and bad happening. But as we apply this to ourselves, we know that one, we're all going to die. And a bad thing might happen. We pray week to week for various friends and family members that have got some gosh awful disease. And sometimes, like Uncle Tom, he just passed away. You're not going to dodge the bullet. It's going to kill you. So we're not talking about how some sort of happy, happy, joy, joy time that's always in your life because it's a good time. But a happy, happy, joy, joy thing in spite of everything that happens. Because you're not going to be guaranteed a good life, but you're going to be guaranteed the gifts of God that are a result of you standing by the river and soaking up everything you trust in God for. This is where the passage my dad got the uh, title of his blog thing, Roots by the River. This used to be a little mailer he sent out over the country called Roots by the River from this passage. This is what our examination of the things of God in the scriptures is to us. We start taking in these good things to trust and God in being trusted looks at every man according to his ways and gives him that which is according to his ways. So if you say, but I'm just miserable. Okay, well, all right. Guess what? So what do they do? We were talking to Nick Rozier last night about said, people don't even know, I don't even know if any of you guys are on antidepressants. They don't recommend it because they don't actually know. They don't even admit that on the ads. They don't know what's, what's going on here. We're just going to drug you. Now it might be beneficial for you to stabilize your mind long enough to think your way to clarity, but the joy of the Lord is at the hand of God. The love of God is at the hand of God. The patience of God. Self-control. What's according to your ways? What do you got? Because the Lord is faithful. You're one of His, I trust. What you've got is according to your ways. Are you happy? It's according to your ways. You get up going, God is good. Yeah, my, my head hurts, but God is good. Yes, I need a cup of coffee, but God is good. Not curse God and die. Like the partridge that gathers a brood which he did not hatch, so is he who gets rich, riches, but not by right. In the midst of his days, they will leave him. And at his end, he will be a fool. That's sort of an example, slight, slight example, of us functioning in the world. We run around rearranging everything, trying to group together all the stuff that really isn't ours to have and keep. And it's taken away from us. And in the end, we'll be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake thee 
shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from thee shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now that's what struck me about the passage this time. He will write your sins on your heart with a pen of iron. And the end result is really all that you are shall be written in the earth. Sort of think of that passage where Christ bends down and writes in the dirt. Sort of also an image of temporality. It's not what is graven on your heart with a pen of iron, with a diamond tip, sequentially coming out of your life, becoming what your life is, an unpeaceful relationship with your family, disobedient children, idolatry. All that you do, unless you're standing in the Lord, will be a life written in the dirt which will be walked over, washed away by a first rainstorm. It's got no permanence. You, you, it's one of the most agreed upon, you know, if you talk to atheists, an honest atheist, and Lewis covers this in his uh, uh, funeral of a great myth, um, they will admit it's all pointless. It's all going to end up nothing. All of history, all of the universe, all of it's going to collapse. Nothing is going to even be there to remember that which was. It will be absolutely pointless. And the Christians should get together with the atheists on that point and say, Amen, brother. It is, it is pointless. Your life, all that you chose to live, all that you wrote out, however intensely you believed in it, was written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. So it's a matter of what you're going to do. How is it going to be? What's the practicalities here? If you know there are places you can trust man, do you have that all worked out? Do you just get up in the morning and start trusting man the moment you walk out the bedroom door? I got man trusted. I know where to get my gas. I know where to get my food. I know where to go do this, do that. I know how much, how high to turn the temperature on nachos. I know everything. Do you know anything about what God asked to be believed in? Because the danger is if you've got everything worked out where you trust man, but you don't have a clue about where you trust God, you might be trusting man in a cursed, to a cursed level. People who believe, I've got a problem, give me a drug. Not, I've got a problem going to God for grace. So, I'm going to work it out. Again, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to be understood that this is what the passage says. If we get it wrong, it's going to affect things in a way you don't like. If you get it wrong, it's going to affect your religion. It's going to get you wrong. You're going to affect your children. And then God is going to scribble your life out on a piece of sand and watch the wind blow it away. And I always wanted to have my life graven on the side of a mountain, like the Behistun inscription by Darius. That's got last to it. That's got some... You want your life like that? 
There are pyramids in Egypt, fourth dynasty, long time ago, still standing. There are houses out here in the Moser edition that barely stand up. You want your life to have impact and last, it has to be trusting that which sustains us. I have the Psalm 1 here at the very end. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your mercies, for your watering us. We'd ask that we would seek you out know what you wish us to believe you in. And when you point us to believe the authorities around us, we'd ask that we'd get the right balance. That your blessing, your hand would be on us. You would not be making our lives pointless. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.